Hello and welcome to the Chorus in the Chaos podcast. My name is Jack and I've got a little bonus episode for you today on the topic and the importance of maintaining the integrity of the gospel. And as I think about that subject, maintaining the integrity of the gospel, the figure that comes to my mind first and foremost would be the great reformer, Martin Luther. And uh, many of us, when we think about Martin Luther in the context of fighting and maintaining for the integrity of the gospel, uh, we think of him nailing the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg, or perhaps we think of him boldly standing before the Roman Catholic Church and declaring that he stands only on the Word of God for doctrine. Uh, And it may surprise you, though, before Martin Luther became this very prominent, well-known reformer, Luther was actually a man that really wrestled with assurance. And in fact, you could one could probably describe his path to salvation as really nothing short of tumultuous. You see, from a young age, Luther struggled with the notion that he was accepted by God. In fact, you could one one could argue pretty pretty easily I think that he feared God. Uh, he feared God, he feared judgment, and he lived in a continual state of anxiety that Luther would ultimately one day be rejected and destroyed by God. And this is because even before Luther really got the gospel, right, he understood uh, the fear of God, the depth of God's holiness and the law's righteous requirement. And he knew that he didn't live up to that. Uh, He was sinful, he was fallen, and he just couldn't do it. Everything that the law required, that scripture required of Luther, he was incapable of doing. And in a sense, you know, looking back, Uh, this side of the cross, looking back through the course of history and kind of knowing what we know about Luther in his life now, we could say that he was at enmity or war with God. He was fighting against God. Although in that war, right, in that war against God, because it was enmity between God and man and between God and Luther, he longed and desperately wanted a relationship with Jesus and the living God. So Luther did what he knew to do at the time. He worked, he tried, And Martin Luther did all he could to earn God's favor and acceptance. And you could say he worked to find peace with God. And one of the ways that Luther did this, one of the ways he sought out to to, uh, work out or or find peace with God is he he thought a life in ministry might do that. So in 1505, he did this. He committed his life to the ministry, became a monk. And at this point in time in Luther's Luther's life, his days were pretty simple, right? They were consumed with things like uh, house chores around the monastery, uh, dedicated prayer time, theological studies, and of course, confession. And at this point in time, it really wasn't uncommon for monks to spend, I don't know, 30 minutes or so in confession, right? Uh, Maybe on a daily basis. However, it's said that Luther, it's reported that Luther, it wasn't uncommon for him to actually spend hours confessing. He would meet with his father confessor, and he would begin to recount every little thing that he did wrong since the last time he confessed. You know, from passions of lust, bursts of anger, maybe ripples or waves of discontentment, to even there's reports of, you know, some commentators or sorry, sorry, biographers have reported that he uh, coveted his own brother's potato salad at lunch. Like he looked across and really wanted someone's lunch and he coveted that. And he, and he felt the need to repent of that in confession. Um, so all that to say, Luther was obsessed with his sin. And as I pointed out, he toiled to propitiate God's judgment towards him. Thankfully, Luther didn't stay there. You know, a few years later, and this is how he kind of becomes the Luther, that the reformer Luther that we all know. You know, he was years later, he was reading Romans 1, uh, 
verses 16 and 17, which reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And Luther got stuck on that phrase, the righteousness of God. He got stuck on it. He kept thinking about the righteousness of God. And what did that mean? And eventually, Luther would come to understand that the righteousness of God is not something that he could ever, or we for that matter, could ever produce in us, no matter how hard we work. You know, due to our sinful nature, there's no amount of good works that you or I could do to muster up to earn God's favor. We can't create it. We can't produce it. We can't earn it. Rather, that righteousness of God that Paul talks about is something that God achieves in us by grace through faith in Christ. That is to say, we are justified by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We are imputed. We are therefore imputed with the righteousness um, and the and the life of Christ. We're imputed with. So, so when God looks at us, I should say, God, He doesn't just see our sin, right? Because we're imputed with the righteousness and life of Christ, the Lord sees Christ. He sees what Christ has done. He sees the blood of Christ. He sees our, sees our sins covered. And the beauty of that truth, what we would now call the gospel, it hit Luther like a truck. It truly changed his life. And later he described this moment. Listen to what he said, when he, this, this kind of conversion moment. He said that the righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which the merciful God justifies us by faith. And then Luther said, Here I felt that I was altogether born again in the very gates of paradise opened up before me. And I suspect, you know, that a, a text because of this, a text like God, like Galatians 1, 6-10, really resonated with Luther as we think about this conflict that he had with, with a workspace theology. Listen to Galatians 1, 6-10. Paul writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. Now, not long before writing this letter to the churches in Galatia, which would be roughly, roughly the equivalent of modern-day Turkey, the Apostle Paul had been with these Christians. He had spent time with them. He labored with them. He taught them the gospel. He lived with these people, and he taught them the same gospel that Luther rediscovered in the 1500s, the gospel that teaches that justification can't be worked out on our own, but comes by faith alone. However, the book of Galatians is an indicator that things really didn't stick. I mean, the, the Galatians are really struggling with their doctrine and the theology. Notice that, that text I read, uh, again, Galatians 1, 6-10. Notice how Paul begins it. In verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. And, and you know, if you've read a lot of the New Testament or a lot of studied Paul's letters, you'd, you'd see that most of Paul's letters, many of them begin with very happy greetings and encouragements. Philippians comes to mind, right? Talks about how thankful he is for them. But this is not one of those letters. Paul is really concerned 
by what's happening in Galatia and the teaching that these Christians are now falling prey to. And the letter of Galatians, to, to sum it up, Paul's on a mission here to really set things straight. And if, and if you were to read the entire letter, you could get a little bit better context to what's happening, right? You, you learn some details um, about the context. And, and namely, false teachers had come in and they were teaching that Paul wasn't a real apostle. Uh, they were saying that in addition to the forgiveness of, of the sins in Christ, that these new Christians really needed to start following the Old Testament law. They, they were in effect saying it was a, uh, in Christ, you know, your old sins may, may be forgiven, but going forward, you've got to follow the ceremonial law and practice circumcision. It was the classic Jesus plus works theology. And in light of this, Paul says he is astonished. He's astonished. And, and I would argue, if you read the tone of the letter, Paul's probably got some level of righteous indignation here. That, that is to say, he is rightfully angry. He is justly angry at what these false teachers are doing and saying because they are distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes later, he wants to remind the Christians of Galatians today, and this is in Galatians 5.1, that in Christ we have freedom and to stand firm and not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So Paul's really concerned that these Christians are flipping back into the yoke of slavery of sin. And in modern times, you know, it, it may seem odd to some of us that anyone would elevate the practice of ceremonial law and circumcision, circumcision, excuse me, to put it on such a level as, you know, in a salvation equation, right? To put it in that, in that, in that, in that equation that equates or it results in in, uh, in salvation. But in the first century, the practice of law and circumcision was built, really built into the core identity of who Israel was. It was their sign of covenant with God, right? To circumcise symbolized and materialized the covenant that they had with God. And to circumcise them was to properly honor and worship God. They, in their minds, uh, they were wrong, clearly, because of because of the, they were not following the gospel of Christ. But... Um, and I would argue that there was some selfish intent on their part, like they were trying to make a name for themselves, particularly in Galatia. But, you know, for many of these new converts, it could have been tempting to listen to these Judaizers, these people that were saying, well, yeah, Jesus is great. He's done all this stuff, but you've really got to add this to it. Uh, imagine these people coming in. You know, these are these are uh, likely a lot of Gentiles here, people who didn't have a strong background in the Old Testament. So you've got these these Judaizers come in, people who really know the Bible. They come in and they start explaining and pointing out through, you know, Genesis and Exodus and all these these books of the Old Testament how circumcision is what God commanded and it needed to be done. Christ is great, but going forward, you've got to honor this. I bet they were really charismatic and compelling, like they were going back to the way of old, right? Yet Paul doesn't look at this referring back to old as anything good or doctrinally sound. And in this letter, Paul is pleading with the Galatians to remember what he taught about the gospel. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5, 2-3. He says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Listen to that. He says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify to you again, Paul continues, that every man who, who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And that is big. And that is the seriousness of the error when we try and add anything to the gospel and work of Christ. Notice that Paul says in our text that they're deserting Christ. 
deserting, leaving, abandoning. And that word there, if you go back and look at the in the Greek, it has this this sense of a change of factions, right, or affiliations, carries with it a tone of betrayal. But this is the net effect when we add or change anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We abandon Christianity. We abandon it. And today, you know, in modern times, modern America, we don't often combat false teachers who argue that we must be circumcised or adhere to ceremonial law to be saved. That doesn't come up too often. But we still deal with that same root sin, this Jesus plus works uh, mentality or, or, or doctrinal error. And we're prone to let this Jesus plus something mentality creep into our Christian living. And it's really dangerous. It's really, really dangerous. So therefore, as Christians, we must be resolute to know the gospel. We must know and believe the gospel so well that it flows through our veins like life-giving blood. We must know it so well that if you were to hear someone distorting the true gospel, that you can look at it, recognize it, point it out as Paul does, and say, that's a different gospel. That's not the same one. That is different. That is a different gospel. You got to know it. You have to know the gospel so that you can recognize the false teachings that people can bring in that contradict it. And I want to encourage, you know, there may be someone out there listening to this being so bold as to think, well, that would never happen to me, right? I've got it. I've got this figured out. I, I would never I would never fall prey to a false gospel. What's interesting is in the, the letter of Galatians, uh, there's a really interesting illustration here. Real, hap, real say illustration. It really happened, but an illustration for us in this uh, podcast. You see, we we learn that later in Galatians that even Barnabas and the apostle Peter had fallen prey to these false teachers. The apostle Peter. So, so we must never underestimate the seriousness and the deception of sin in our own hearts. Maintaining the integrity of the gospel is an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing battle. It doesn't stop. It's, it's, it's a battle that Christians have been fighting for 2,000 years and will continue to fight until the day that Jesus returns. So anything that suggests that there is a part of salvation that is not all of Christ, that is a false gospel. That is to say, it is no gospel at all, is kind of what Paul says in Galatians 1. And, and I'll add that there, you know, today it's difficult because there are entire denominations that simply refuse to teach core elemental aspects of the gospel. They refuse to teach foundational things about the truth of our of, of, of the Lord in our in our world today. Things like God is holy and just and sin is real. And they tend to apply in the name of quote unquote love and acceptance this blanket of that any doctrinal practice is okay. Because if you love someone, love is the greater law. Love is the overarching thing. So anything under love is okay. If you're loving people, you're okay. Love people and everything else will sort itself out. What's missed is in those two great commandments, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then, and then Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. The second one, the loving your neighbor, is rooted in the first one. It's an outflowing. It's an expression. He says, likewise, love your neighbor as yourself. It's an outflowing of the first one. So we have to get our vertical doctrine correct before we can even begin to think about correcting or implementing our horizontal truth or doctrine. And if Galatians then, thinking about Galatians, if it teaches us anything, it's that we must be resolute to uphold the integrity and sanctity of the gospel. As a church, 
we don't fundamentally exist to make people feel good about themselves and their sin. That's not why we're here as the people of God. That's not why Christ redeemed us to make us feel good or help other people feel good. We exist to show people the hope and grace and love that we have in Christ. We exist to worship God and point others to the cross. We exist, as Paul lines out, to be pleasers of God and not pleasers of men. We must know the gospel. Let's know it. And Paul sums this up, you know, later in Galatians uh, 2.16, he says, he says this, and I think it's a great kind of summary, and we'll begin to wrap this up here, a great summary passage for us. And he says, verse 16, uh, Galatians chapter 2, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Let's say this. He says, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And that is the crux of the whole thing. We think about maintaining the integrity of the gospel. Justification comes by faith alone, not by works of the law. Justification by faith alone is tantamount with the gospel. And if we lose justification by faith alone, we lose Christianity. So, you know, as I as kind of begin to wrap things up here, I also think again about Martin Luther and just the way he thought about the importance of maintaining the integrity of the gospel and how he was committed to the integrity of the gospel. There's a great story I've heard a few times. Uh, many years after the Reformation had happened, Luther uh, was pastoring his church and just, you know, kind of day-to-day life. Oops, excuse me. He was day-to-day life. He was doing his thing and, and preaching every Sunday, teaching and one day after, you know, a number of weeks, Luther had been preaching on the gospel. One day a man came up to him and said, Pastor, Luther, Mr. 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 Luther, I don't know what he said, but, but Mr. Luther, um, sir, surely, you know, you come in here week after week, you're preaching the gospel. I think we're ready to move on to something else. I think we got that. I think we understand the importance of the gospel. I think we get the gospel. Why do you keep preaching this? And Luther looked at him and, and said, as, as I've heard, um, I keep preaching the gospel week after week after week because every week you come in here looking and acting like a people that don't believe it. And I say that to share, I share that to, to, to say we must be people who are committed to never getting bored with the gospel, to never giving up on the gospel, to never thinking that we've got it figured out. We have to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves, sit under teaching of the gospel because we must continue to fight that battle to maintain the integrity of the gospel. So as followers in Christ, let us go forth then as people who are resolute to maintain the integrity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks so much. This has been Jack with the Course in the Chaos.